I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. The images and stories out of Afghanistan, uh, everything from people clinging to planes uh, to women fearing for the future, uh, all of those have caused a lot of disturbance, a, a lot of frustration, a lot of sadness, a lot of rehashing. And for some, uh, this may be a, a chance to pivot. It may even be a chance for peace. As the generals have been saying, uh, the after-action review, a chance to dissect things, uh, will come. But for now, let's think again. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Matt Ho is a senior fellow with the Center for International Policy. He served in the Marines in Iraq and worked on Afghanistan and Iraq war policy and operation issues at the State Department and the Pentagon from 2002 to 2008. And uh, he joins us now, was kind enough to stay on the line as uh, that news broke, as that uh, uh, press conference began uh, with the Secretary of Defense and the chair of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, Matt, thanks for hanging on the line with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Wonderful. And you're one of those. I I just loved your perspective. You uh, have kind of cautioned everybody a little bit in terms of, hey, let's let's not just go to the instant certainty and and the rage and the the fights at the polar opposite ends of the scale of what did or didn't or should or shouldn't and point and fingers, place and blame uh, and just kind of reframed it in terms of, hey, is there is there a chance for peace in all of this? Tell us about that. Well, you know, thank you for saying that. You know, I, I think what's so heartbreaking for many of us is, uh, you know, what has happened to the Afghan people, 40-plus years of war, uh, war that has almost nothing to do with the Afghans themselves. Uh, you know, I mean, these wars over the last 40 years have been about al-Qaeda. You know, there are no Afghans in al-Qaeda. There are Saudis and Yemenis. I mean, like, things like that, right? But it's, or it's about the Soviet Union, or it's about Pakistan, or it's about India. You know, and, and so the unimaginable suffering of the Afghan people is only is made more tragic by the fact that these wars uh, have nothing to do with them in many ways. Uh, however, you know, I, I think the point that you were bringing up uh, just now is that, you know, so much of the finger pointing that's going right on right now in, the, in our country and in our media all framed along, you know, whether along, along, excuse me, along the lines of Team Red and Team Blue, yeah. right? Are you pro-Biden, yeah. pro-Trump, whatever? You know, and, and they're all, everyone is saying, well, we care about the Afghans, you know, but no one is really doing much to assist them. You know, I mean, and I think that's part of it is the sense of that, like, if you really care about the Afghans, then hold your nose, accept that the Taliban have won this part of the war or maybe won the war in its entirety and understand that now that there is a reduction in the violence, now that there that the cycle of violence has been abated, there is a chance to rebuild and reconcile in Afghanistan. The Afghans have had not had that opportunity for more than 40 years. Mm. When the war is going on, when that cycle of violence is occurring, which includes the revenge cycle, that's what we've been seeing 
with the Taliban. A lot of people have been saying, well, the Taliban are taking revenge. Of course they're taking revenge. War is nothing more than one giant revenge cycle, an organized revenge cycle in many ways. And so to see the Taliban do some of the things they've been doing in these last few weeks, I don't know what else you expected would have happened. But, you know, if this was the policy of the Americans of the United States and Afghanistan to seek out military victory and only military victory and not do anything in terms of negotiating until basically it was too late, you know, two years ago when Trump goes to negotiate with the Taliban, Taliban are already winning the war and have all the leverage. You know, so this is the result of choosing a military victory uh, a policy, you know, a policy of, of, of forcing, of defeating the Taliban militarily, is that when that doesn't work, this is what losing looks like. This is what defeat looks like. Yeah. But if we do care about the Afghans, there should be a, a desire to, okay, now that this violence, the cycle of violence has, is coming to an end, is, is slowing down, is diminishing, can we rebuild and reconcile right now? Yeah, I do. that's such great perspective, and I and I love the fact, Matt, that you've taken this uh, not just to the last twenty years, but the last forty years, uh, because it is this cycle of violence, this cycle of revenge. And if there's anything that I think we can all hope for and look for, is that there there will be space uh, where this can have and turn into a different kind of conversation. And uh, I, everyone that I've spoken to who has worked in and around the Afghan people. Uh, always have such amazing stories to tell, and they are stories of hope. They all are stories of uh, the things that we all worry about, family, community, opportunity, uh, all of those things. And the, the one thing I wanted to really get your take on uh, is the, the Afghani women. You know, to think that 20 years ago, uh, you know, they really couldn't leave the house and, you know, all of those things. Uh, and then for that to go very rapidly to having a seat at the table in drafting the constitution for the country and working in government and business and, and uh, a whole generation of young women who have been educated and had those opportunities in this space that you talk about, creating this space outside the cycle of violence and the cycle of revenge that is war, is there a space for the influence of the Afghani women to really change the dynamic within the country? Well, I mean, what, I, I think that's one of the, the things that people have to really take a good, hard look at is the, the government that the United States put into power and kept in power in Afghanistan was a warlord government. It was composed mm -hmm. of warlords and drug lords. And these men were maybe they were not as theatrical in their misogyny as the Taliban were. They were not executing or stoning women in stadiums. But these are. Uh, men who created and, and, you know, basically the choices over the last two years for Afghans have been a uh, theocratic repressive government that is misogynist, the Taliban, mm -hmm. or a uh, kleptocratic repressive government that is misogynist. You know, under the under the Afghan government that the U.S. has supported, as many as four out of five Afghan women are forced into marriage, mm -hmm. many of them as child brides. Um, if you're an Afghan man, you are legally allowed to rape your wife. Mm. And the biggest reason that women are in prison in Afghanistan are not because they are supporting the Taliban. Majority of women are in prison because of moral crimes. And what, is, what do moral crimes mean in Afghanistan? Moral crimes mean that if you are an Afghan woman and you are raped, you are the one who is put in Afghanistan. Wow. So, I mean, th th yes, there were some women who benefited over these last 20 years. 
you know, there, there are, and certainly men benefited as well. Education, travel, things like that were able to occur. There was a, a liberalization of, of society. But for the majority of Afghans, and we have to remember that 75% of Afghans live outside of the cities in the rural areas, yeah. one, they were impacted mostly by the war. Right. So for many women, I would say, you know, but particularly the women living in the areas where the war was ravaging, their primary concern was they and their children and their family and their neighbors being killed by a roadside bomb from the Taliban or a bomb dropped from the sky by uh, yeah. uh, the Americans. Right. I mean, and, and but, you know, then, too, you have this, like I said, this is explaining. Yeah, maybe it wasn't as bad as the Taliban, but it certainly was very bad for many women. And, uh, you know, again, not diminishing some of the things that occurred, but the idea that the United States and the government that it put in, pla- uh, put in power and kept in place was somehow a good thing for Afghan women, it, you know, it only makes sense if you view the Taliban as the very absolute worst for women. You know, and, and, and you know, you could see it. You saw yeah. it in this last year when the delegations for negotiations, where there were 200 people involved in the delegations, uh, from Afghanistan, and only four were women. Yeah. Yes, there are Afghan parents are women, but they have held, the, you know, they're, they've done, they've, their, their power is very limited. Um, and so I think that's one of the things I think we have to look back on in the last 20 years and say, what did we actually do here? What did we actually support? Why is it that the, the Taliban are not supported by uh, people who would not support the Taliban five years ago. Right. Well, because that, right, supporting the status quo, supporting the Afghan government is a worse choice for many mm-hmm. Afghans. Not saying that people like the Taliban or support them or would choose them if they had any choice, but in a lesser of two evils context, the current Afghan government is so predatory, so brutal, so horrific in its human rights violations that the Taliban are a good alternative for many people. And I think that's something that people here in the United States are, or don't really have the appreciation for or the understanding of what the Afghan government was truly like. Yeah. doesn't take away from the, from the horror that the Taliban were sure. and the horror that the Taliban may be. It's just the fact that, look, we have for two decades now given the Afghans um, really two terrible choices and – uh, you know, the result has been the collapse of the Afghan government, the collapse of the Afghan army, uh, the, the, the exposure that the, the, the claims of progress and stability that the United States is bringing to Afghanistan have been a lie. And now we have an Afghanistan where, yes, is, it, is this going to be a cruel and unjust and unfair peace? But there's a possibility, maybe some, maybe the chance that things can be rebuilt yeah. and reconciled. Or will this just be another another phase of a civil war? Yeah. Matt Ho, thanks for bringing us another perspective. Again, we got to get past the headlines on these if we're going to elevate the conversation. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Great perspective. All right. As we uh, wrap things up here, bottom of the hour, we'll break for news. We're continuing to monitor the press conference from the Secretary of Defense and the Chair of the Joint Chiefs. Uh, much more to come here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. 
Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.